I preached a sermon about a month ago about the gospel, that we're called to know the gospel, experience the gospel, live the gospel, and preach the gospel. I talked about if we experience the gospel, a natural outflowing of that will be preaching the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1.15, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And all feel this eager urge to preach the gospel because the gospel had transformed his life. He'd lived most of his life trying to please God and falling short. When the gospel transforms your life, you want to share it with others. The only thing better in my life than experiencing the gospel for myself is being a part of someone else experiencing it. That doesn't mean we won't have to step past fear to do it, but even as we do that, we are unlocking the gospel in new ways in our hearts and environment. So there are many here right now that now you're getting ready for a sermon on the importance of sharing the gospel. A message you've heard a hundred times, a message you have tried to guilt yourself into following. An important message, but a message you feel you have fallen way short in. Some of you feel stuck. You see ministry opportunities, but time after time you fail to take them. Because in order to take them, you have to step out of this, your comfort zone. You're stuck in your comfort zone, and you see, because you've experienced Jesus for yourself, you see, oh, that person needs prayer. That person is Safeway, oh, they need prayer. Uh, but you're, you're stuck. Oh, that person, that person needs hope. Uh, oh, the church needs more children's workers. <laughs> church needs more tech people. The church needs more ushers, which all of that is true. <laughs> oh, that person needs somebody to walk with them. But what if I make a mistake? What if I, I, I don't know the Bible that, that much. I, and, and we feel stuck in this comfort zone. You want out, but you're like me last week when I told the story of holding on to that pole and just saying, I can't. That you're, you're stuck in your comfort zone and you just, you can't get out. Like, I can't. I can't. I can't. If I step out here, that, that represents risk. That represents possible failure. That represents maybe looking stupid, maybe being rejected. And whatever it is that keeps us in here, we, we stay in there. I want to tell you, there's hope. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Thank you that everyone in here has a call on their life. And each one is specific to their life. And I pray today that people would be encouraged. I pray that you would, you would break us free from fear or anything that keeps us staying in our comfort zone. That, may, that we may walk out the plans that you have for us. Lord, our hearts are open. Pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. So what is it that has stopped us? What is it that stopped me? Sometimes our comfort zones are bigger than other people, but we all have this thing where we have, our, we have the place where we feel safe. 
this morning I'm going to talk about three things that stops us from stepping out of our comfort zone. One is not knowing whose we are. Two is not knowing who we are. Three is not knowing who they are. I have a really simple message this morning, but I believe it is going to set some people free. So number one, knowing whose we are. In order to walk out the ministry the Lord has for us, we need to first know whose we are. We need to have experienced the gospel for ourselves, not just know the gospel, but experience it. I've talked about this many times in the last few weeks, so I'll just touch on it here. There are three calls that Jesus has on our lives, and the first one and most important is a call to himself. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. In John 7, 37 through 38, he says, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scripture declares rivers of living water will flow from his heart. In Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. So he's saying over and over, come to me. That is his first call to us. Second call is a call to community. Hebrews 10.25 says, do not forsake assembling together. Ephesians 5.21 says, subject yourselves one to another out of reverence for God. Do you have people in your life that know you? Do you have people in your life that are welcome to challenge you? Do you have people in your life that you're completely real with? That is what he's talking about. He's not talking about skipping Sundays. He's talking, it goes beyond that when it says don't forsake assembling together. It talks about having people in your life that can speak the truth to you and, and not just being open to it. If Hey, if anybody happens to come when I'm in here and, and tells, but actually stepping out and seeking it. Because most of us are in our comfort zones and we need that welcome <laughs> to go, okay, hey, challenge me about this and the third is a call to ministry so he calls us to himself and he calls us to community then he calls us to ministry what is ministry i used to have vision of a church as a lake and in the ministry that i was in the goal was to get the lake as full as possible like bring in people because it's not about numbers, but numbers equal individuals and individuals equal, equal people that are hearing the gospel, getting discipled and, and growing. And so it was like, okay, you want to grow, grow this. But I, I really believe the church is more a river where what happens is God sends people to us and, and they have these calls on their life, a call to Jesus, a call to community and a call to ministry. And we are called like, my desire is, is the people that I walk with, that Tony, who I've walked with for a very long time, that, that through, like, through my relationship, I'm hoping that she can be closer to Jesus, that she can know more who she is, that she can walk more in community, and she can walk out her calling more. And I know, for me, Tony has done that in my life, of, of drawing me closer to Jesus. And, 
So that's what, what ministry is, is helping people walk out those three callings. If we have not walked out the first call, the call to himself, we'll not be able to walk out the third, the call to ministry. That's why some people are stuck in their comfort zones because you haven't been impacted by the gospel yet. You know all the things, but it hasn't transformed your life. That's, and, and, and so knowing whose you are, make, building that relationship with Jesus because he will transform you from glory to glory. And that's why that, that's the first, first thing is knowing whose you are. But you might say, hey, I have experienced Jesus. I really know him. And I've answered his call to himself. I'm seeking to walk out community the best I know, but I still feel stuck. And I actually, after I shared the gospel message, there were six different people that came to me and basically said that. They said, hey, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm knowing the gospel, experiencing the gospel, living the gospel, but I have a hard time when it comes to preaching the gospel because all I do is I feel guilty when I think about it. I try to guilt myself into it. And that's where I think the, the next two things are is knowing who you are. And there are verses throughout scripture that speak to our identity, but I want to focus on one this morning that speaks to our identity as ministers. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So I want to I focus on three things that says who we are from that. Uh, number one, you are, you are called and chosen. We are a chosen people. Jesus called out to you, and you've answered that call, and he has chosen you. So you are chosen by God. Think about that. You're chosen by God. And he has a specific call on your life. He has work for you to do. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his handiwork or workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And a lot of times we focus on the first part of that verse because it's a good part of our identity. Like, hey, we are God's masterpiece. But I want to focus on the second part. It says God has work that he has prepared ahead of time for you to do. He's got a plan laid out specifically for, for your life. He's called and chosen you for this plan. And your work is not going to look like others. Sometimes the missing component of knowing who we are is knowing who we are not. Sometimes when we, when we think about ministry, we think about the gospel, we think about Ken Foster. who Ken Foster will go out in the streets, pray for everybody. He has not met a stranger. And we go, okay, my life should be like Ken Foster's. And yes, we can learn from Ken, and we should. But it's not going to look the same because the plan he has for you is different than the plan he has for Ken Foster. I have two amazing parents that have ministered all of their lives. My dad has led a thousand, over a thousand people to the Lord in his lifetime. He was a drug dealer that got radically saved, became an evangelist, a jail chaplain, 
and went into the hardest parts of the prison, the places that no one else would go, and, and in that reached people with the gospel, amazing stories that uh, I love to just listen and hear my dad's stories. My mom has not led a lot of people to the Lord. But my mom can, can go through a line at the checkout stand, and by the end of it, she knows the whole life story of that cashier. And she's praying for her. My, my mom has sent a, a bunch of people Bibles and, and given verses, and, and she's not the one a lot of times that, that sits down and ends up being the one that's able to pray with the person to lead them to the Lord, but she's in the journey with the people. So which one is better? Well, if my dad tried to be my mom, it would be horrible. <laughs> and if my mom tried to be my dad, it would be horrible. So sometimes it's knowing who, like who God's called you to. Because like sometimes it's going to a restaurant, sitting down with your wife, and loving her and praying before your meal and asking the waitress, what you could pray for her about and and that waitress breaks down ends up giving her life to Jesus and then in, ends up praying an awesome prayer this Sunday morning so Mark Stratton the reason the reason Alexi is here is Mark and Kim walk out the calling that God has on their life and it doesn't look like that no one can be like Mark Mark is like when Mark hugs you there's just a there's a love there we can, and so God's not calling Matt to be like Mark. But I'm thankful Mark is walking out as calling. How many of you guys are? So why is it important to know that you are called and chosen for this? Because with God's call comes the empowerment to do it. Because what we're worrying about is failing. We look, at, we look at ourselves and we go, I don't got what it's ta it takes. But with God's call comes the empowerment to do it. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And with his call, his command comes the ability to do it. The word of God is living and active. God's words are paintbrushes. When he spoke with creation, he spoke, let it be, and it became. And so when he speaks his word over us, when, when he puts a call on our lives... With that call comes the empowerment to do it. Peter knew this. Because the disciples were on a boat. And Jesus came walking on the water. And, and they're freaked out. It's in a storm. And Peter says a weird thing, if you don't understand it. He says, hey, Jesus, if that's you, bid me to come to you. Like, if I saw somebody walking on water, I don't know if that would be my first statement. Be like, what? But he says, hey, Jesus, if it's you, ask me to come to you. Because Peter knew if Jesus asked him to do something, he'd have the power to do it. And, and so Peter, something that, that none of us should have in our own strength, the ability to do and want to do, he stepped out of his comfort zone onto water. And he walked towards Jesus. And he only got mixed up when, 
when he got his eyes off of Jesus. But in your life, if there's a call, if there's something God's calling you to do, you don't have to worry if you're good enough. Because Jesus made you good enough just by calling you to do it. So we we need to know that we are called and chosen by God. And second, that you are a minister to the Lord and of the Lord. I love one of the songs here because it talks about making God glad. And uh, I just want to move your heart. If that wasn't possible, that'd be a really arrogant statement to make. Hey, creator of the universe all-powerful. Me, the one of seven billion people, I want to move your heart. But God says that we can. He says we are a royal priesthood. What does that mean? In the Old Testament, there was a group of people that were set aside as priests. They would minister to the Lord and for the Lord. They would offer sacrifices, incense, worship to the Lord on behalf of the people, and they'd take care of the temple And in the temple, there was the holies and there was the holy of holies. And the only one that could go into the holy of holies were the priests. And it was specific priests that had to go through like a year-long cleansing ritual. And then they tied a rope around their leg uh, in case because they were going into the presence of a holy God. And in case they didn't do everything right, they were going to fall dead. He's saying, okay, you're a priesthood. What does that mean? We need to walk around with ropes on our legs? No, Jesus is saying, under my new covenant, all of you are priests. I've cleansed you. I'm with you. And and you can enter God's presence with boldness. There were two separate groups, the priests and the other Israelites. There are no longer two separate groups. There's not... There's not some of us that are the priests and some of us that are the Israelites. There's not some of us that are the pastors and some of us that are the lay people. We are all in full-time ministry. You guys just happen to give me my money. God is saying, you minister to me. Sometimes there's things that are so simple, we we think about, we can forget the depth of it. God is saying, hey, You value enough to me that when you sing off-key the best you can, it moves me. It touches my heart. And if you can touch the creator's heart, what can he do through you to the world? If my relationship is valued by God, Surely he's placed things in me that can bring value to others' lives also. The priest's purpose was to stand in the gap between God and man, to intercede. Jesus was the great high priest and interceded and paid the price, and now he calls us priests. And we get to continue the work. And who are we priests to? Who's in your life? Who's in front of you? Cashier at Safeway, your kids, your wife. You help them, you help point them to the Lord, and and you can connect them. So we have a ministry that God's called us to, but he also says, hey, you are my priests. And 
And when we walk in that, if we go, okay, as a priest, my job is to, to intercede. A person I have high respect for is Dale. For Dale, in my relationship, my job and his job to me is to help both of us get closer to Jesus. And we do that. And, and as you do that, as you see that and you walk in that, sometimes you'll just step out without even realizing you're out of your comfort zone. All of a sudden, you'll be like praying for somebody and you're like, how did I get here? Other times, you'll walk out like this. You'll be like... And, and you'll feel like you make a mess of it. And God's like, man, I'm proud of that boy. He's walking. <laughs> the third is you are holy. We are a holy people. Some of you, that actually, like, hurts to hear. Like, you're like, no, no, don't. I'm not. Holy means sacred, set apart. It means morally blameless. It means cleansed. Again, it would be an arrogant thing to say if it wasn't true. Some people don't step out of their circle because they don't believe God could use someone like them. I've done too much. I haven't done enough. And we look at ourselves instead of looking at the one who perfects us, and we go, oh, they won't want to hear from me. They'll just think I'm a hypocrite. And so we stay stuck. And when we encounter God, everyone in the Bible who encountered God fell flat on their face and was very aware of their own sinfulness. Like Isaiah had a throne room encounter with God. And then in Isaiah 6, 5 through 8, this is how Isaiah responded. And he said, and I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So he's, he's in his, his comfort zone. God meets him where he's at. And he goes, I'm, I'm lost. I'm, I'm gone. Because I, I am totally unclean. I am not worthy to see God. And this is what happens. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And Jesus says that when we encounter him. He says, okay, and we give him our lives, our messed up lives. He says, okay, you know what? That stuff is atoned for. It's, it's done. And listen what happens right after this. It says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. So he went from a place of, of focusing on his own sinfulness to, to getting cleansed and then going, okay, I can step out. Because when we get a revelation of, the, of how much we are forgiven, our sins become part of our testimony. No longer does it, does it say, like, oh, man, well, I, well I'm divorced. Well, I, well I, did, I did this in the past. I did that. No, no longer do, are those excuses, but they're part of the thing that God uses to affect other people. 
Because when he makes us holy, he makes everything holy. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. That all things includes our past sins. So you are called and chosen. You are a minister to the Lord and of the Lord, and you are holy. If we're going to step out of the comfort zone, we need to know whose we are, who we are, and third, whose they are. Because the thing in 1 Peter 2.9, that's God's heart for everyone else, too. They have a call of God on their lives. Some of them have answered that call and are in the process of walking it out. Others are running from it. But Jesus still calls to them. There's a C.S. Lewis quote that I've, I shared a couple years ago, but it is a, it's one that has really hit me when it comes to realizing the call of other, on other people's lives. It's from The Weight of Glory. It says, It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load of weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to one may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have, never met, you have never talked to a mere mortal. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. I was offended into ministry. When I was a child, there was a guy named Ron Bronsky that some of you guys have met. He, uh, he came and spoke at the church, and he was one of the pastors in, in the inner city of Portland where I, I lived, and all the kids in he did a children's program and all the kids loved him and he came and spoke at my church and he got up there and he was sharing and then he did something that offended me very intensely and offended me into the ministry he got up and he said people are going to hell and you don't give a damn and as a young boy who was a good Christian boy, I, know, I knew you didn't cuss, and of course you didn't cuss in church. So I, I was sitting there, and I was fuming. I was like, how could you? And then he said, some of you are more concerned about the fact that I just cussed than the fact that your neighbor is going to hell. And I sat there, and as a young, good Christian boy, said, I'm messed up. 
William Booth had a vision. Uh, he's the founder of Salvation Army. And on this vision, there was an island, and around it, there was a sea. And the sea had bodies of the lost just drowning. And on the island were people that were the redeemed of the Lord, the saved. And on the island, he saw people just kind of living their life. They even go play at the beach and, uh, and totally unaware of the people drowning around them. Uh, that vision has really affected me to the point that I started judging the church when I was in junior high and high school. Uh, and I was like, okay, that's me. I'm the one who steps out of my comfort zone. I minister to people. Everyone else is, is here. And God gave me a vision. And in the vision, there was a lot of people in my church then that just were just kind of living their lives and they weren't really following, following Jesus really and doing ministry. And, like, and I started to see that island that I'd pictured from the vision. And, and my friends were on it, the people that were irritating me in the church. And, and, and in the dream, there's me and all these other people that I thought were the, the real ministers of the Lord and we're running back and forth across the island and grabbing people out and pulling them in. And, and, and at one point, someone gets in my way, and in the dream, I kick him down and, and just, just move and, and keep going. And in, in the dream, I saw that person. I saw other people, and I saw them. They were going off the island. And they were going into the ocean, but not to save other people. They'd, they'd lost track of who they were. And, and they were drowning. And I realized, man, I, I had an incorrect view of them. I, I valued the lost, but, but Jesus said that, that they will know you by your love for one another. And everybody in here, you have a call of God on your life. And it, and it might be scary. It's not going to look like anybody else's. So in sharing those things, sharing about that, that could go, okay, man, I feel guilty now. I don't, I don't love people enough. Or you could go, okay, where, do, where does that love come from? In 1 Corinthians 13, it starts by saying, like, hey, you can... I can speak in the tongues of men and angel, but if I have not love, I am a clanging symbol. It says, uh, I, can, I can prophesy, I can do all these things, but if I have not love, I am nothing. So how do we get that love? This is talking about agape love. Do we just sit in our comfort zones and say, love more, love more, and beat ourselves up? And, I, and it's, it sounds funny, but how many of you have done that? Or do we go to the author of love? We say, change my heart, God. There was a time in my life, like into high school, college year, where I just, I wanted God's love for people. And, I, and I've continued this on until then, but I committed in that, in that season that everybody I walked by, I was going to pray for God's heart for. And I lived in inner city Portland, and I took public transit. transit. So I looked weird. I'm not talking about praying out loud for, but, but I'd go, go around and I'd say, God, give me your heart for that 13-year-old. 
Give me your heart for that person. God, give me your heart for that person. God, give me your heart for them. And, and I'd pray, and I'd, I'd each, each thing. And a thing that happened is, is I prayed because I was still a chicken then. I didn't, now it's really easy to, to minister to people, and I talk to people wherever I go. But then I didn't. What changed? God changed my heart. And God can change your heart. If you're in a place where you're like, man, I, I'm in this, I can't get out of here. God will bring people and, say, God, and you say, God, give me your heart for Tony. God, give me your heart for Rod. And what's crazy is God loves people so much that all of a sudden you're going to be out of your comfort zone and you won't even know it. So God, I thank you for everybody that's here. I thank you for the call that's on their lives. I pray you would teach us how to walk that out. Pray for those that don't know you yet. They know about you, but they don't know you. I pray today they would come to know you, that they would experience you in, in your forgiveness, your cleansing, and your power. I pray for those that don't know who they are. They're stuck in fear. They don't know that they're called and chosen. I pray today for a revelation of that. And, I, and we all pray that you would transform our hearts for the people around us. Thank you and praise you. Pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. I want to challenge you, if you haven't done this before, ask the Lord what your ministry is and talk to three people and start today. Talk to three people and go that that you know you trust and say, hey, this is what God's calling me to in this next season. Can you walk with me? Because we need peop- you're going to need people to kick you in the butt. I need that. <laughs>